Hi, welcome to Be With The Word. We're happy that you're joining us here at Souls and Hearts. I am Dr. Jerry Creed. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Dr. Peter Melanowski, clinical psychologist here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And we are here for the third Sunday of Easter. And Dr. Peter is going to lead us and discuss confidence in God. So I really look forward to uh, hearing your thoughts on that, Dr. Peter. It is a joy to be with you, Dr. Jerry. It is a joy to be with you, all of our viewers, all of our listeners. If you're tuning in on uh, on Spotify or picking up our RSS feed on Apple Podcasts or something like that, it's a delight to be with you. And so to get right into it, there was one word, Dr. Jerry, one word that leaped out at me in all of these readings today. One word. What was it? And I'm glad you asked. Um, it actually came out of the responsorial psalm. One word that came out of the responsorial psalm, Psalm 16, and here it is. It's from this passage. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices and my body too abides in confidence. Hmm. Confidence. And that's something that is um, that, that lots of people are struggling with in this particular these particular difficult times. So mm-hmm. I really saw all of these readings revolving around that central theme of confidence in God. Confidence in God. Here we are in the Easter season in difficult times, right? With this uh, pandemic and all of the, all of the, um, the churches closed, or at least for many of us, the churches are closed. No access to the sacraments, no access to the Eucharist. A very odd set of circumstances we find ourselves in. But that does not negate Psalm 16. Confidence so- in God. Dr. Peter, what, what do you mean when you say confidence in God? Like, how do you define that? How do I define that? So I actually looked this up and I went to St. Thomas Aquinas and I thought, you know, what does St. Thomas Aquinas have to say about confidence? And his definition of confidence is short, succinct, and it's point, on point. And that is, confidence is a hope fortified by solid conviction. A hope fortified by solid conviction. And so we want to unpack that. What does that mean? It means that that hope is firm, stable, it's constant, it is not shaken. So this goes beyond just trust. It goes beyond just hope. But it's hope that's fortified by solid conviction. So it's, it's, it's sort of like hope or trust taken up to the, to the next level. It's, that's the, it's an order of magnitude greater. So... A lack of conviction, right, leads to a lack of confidence. A lack of conviction leads to a lack of confidence, right? Because then you're just in the realm of optimism or wishful thinking, or or um, or you're not really gripping onto the conviction. This is where this is where we hold on to it with our soul, hold on to it with our being, right? It gets beyond feelings. It gets beyond. Um, just the, the vicissitudes of what's going on in our internal experience in the moment. It's what I call soul set, right? Sort of mindset, heart set, soul set, body set, right? Soul set is like, what is our fixed position of soul, you know, that holds constant in spite of all the psychological churn that we go through in our, um, in our day-to-day lives. So, so in our, rel- like our society is so uh, secular, so relativized. Like we do kind of put our own feelings on a pedestal as if that is what determines everything. So how do we 
help people or how do you, how do we get this conviction, the set conviction um, that feels to me like what you're describing is, you know, unwavering kind of sense that, yeah, this is correct and I'm going to hold on to it. Well, that, that that is that is in the spiritual realm, actually. I don't think that much of that is actually in the psychological realm. I think that is a gift from God, right? We know that faith, hope, and charity are the theological virtues. So they're infused by God. We don't get those by practicing them. They, they don't come that way. They come as gifts. And so our job there is to, is to ask for them and to prepare the ground to be able to receive them, right? But there's something that happens before that firm conviction, though, and that's really what I want to focus on. Like, what kinds of experiential things lead us to not have it? Because if you look at who are the most trusting people on, on the planet, who are the most trusting, who have the greatest confidence that they're going to be taken care of? It's infants, Right? It's infants, it's little children who have yet not yet been uh, exposed to the disappointments in their relationships. So when we are little, right, we have a natural propensity to trust. We have a natural propensity to reach out. We believe that, um, that our parents are going to take care of us. But the, inevitably, because we live in a fallen world, things happen. Mm-hmm. Right. We are disappointed. And I really do believe now this is a little bit of speculative Molinowski theology here. So kind of a warning there. Right. But I do believe that that we see our parents as godlike figures through this idealization that we have. And I think a lot of how we come to see God and there's a fair amount of research now on God image issues. These are the unconscious images that we hold of God are impacted by how did the idealization of our parents come to an end? You know, was it abrupt? Mm-hmm. Was it was it was it traumatic? You know, where they really failed us in one particular moment, and our image of them was shattered. Um, you know, in 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 a particular way, or was it more gradual? And did we come to see that my daddy is not the strongest man in the world? And my daddy, who I thought could protect me from everything, in some ways couldn't, because that's more than we could ever expect from a human father, right? So I think that what kids naturally do, what little children naturally do, is they put their innate desires for God, they put that on their parents, and that's inevitably going to be disappointed. So if you, if you, if you, if you follow that out, then what happens, right? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with how do we handle that de-idealization? Do we become bitter? You know, do we become, do we withdraw? Do our hearts become small and closed? Or do we expand? Do we look for it from, from other people? Because we often do this again when we go to our romantic relationships, right? When we're, we're dating, right? And we become, uh, we idealize you know, the other person, there's sort of imbue that, right? With second time around, or we might do it with uh, a crush on a teacher, you know, if we're in grade school, or we might, we might have a, a real dependent relationship on a mentor or, or someone else that we've got these idealizing transferences to. And inevitably, those people are going to disappoint us as well, right? Because our God right. is a jealous God. He's not going to let us um, simply 
go on believing that this other person can take the place of God. And it's not that we're thinking that. It's not that we're, it's not that we're choosing that or we wouldn't even think about it that way. This is all going on uh, outside of conscious awareness. So we've done that in a sense. To, you're still talking about others. But ultimately, are you saying that those early parental kind of de-idealizations that kind of happen based on various things is also transferred to God so that we That's don't transferred to God. God. Right. Yeah. So we de-idealize God, ultimately. We're told things about Ulti- God. Yeah. Well, I think then- what happens is parts of us, parts of us assume that God is like whoever we idealized. So if our parents and can that, let us down, so can God. God has let us down, right? God has let us down. I think there are parts that of us that hold on to whatever unresolved issues we have with with um, with idealization, hold on to those, and and they they generalize that to God because these these parts of us are just working off of what they've experienced, right? So so if we um, if we had an experience of you know our parents being distant, it's very likely that we're going to experience God as being distant. And again, that's where we can't trust our feelings on this, right? Because there's this kind of experiential knowing, knowing in quotes, I'm doing the air quotes here, you know, knowing in quotes that uh, is actually not true at all. It actually doesn't reflect who God really is. And so that's why we can't just rely on our own subjective experience to tell us who God is. We actually need divine revelation and we need faith and we need to be open to God showing us who he really is because he can't correct what we've got wrong unless we let him in. He's not going to yeah. invade us. He's, he's not going to intrude. He's not going to violate uh, our intellect and our will because he respects our freedom and he loves us with his deep and abiding love. So, you know, I, I love that. I really love what you're saying there. I think it makes a lot of sense that we can't rely on our own subjective experience, like with our parents or whatnot, or even others to define God for us. Right. And yet we do that. So, and we're, I mean, it happened in the gospel. That. It happened in the gospel, the road to Emmaus, right? Cleopas mm-hmm. and his companion were there talking with Jesus for hours mm-hmm. and they couldn't see him. Mm-hmm. They couldn't see him. He was right there before him, and he then they couldn't see him, right? And so and I, many other I, people I, I, mistook him. Mistook. And these are disciples, right? These are people who walked with them, you know, and right. and they couldn't trust their senses on that. And we and are I in an it. age. We're in an age where where we expect that what we see is what is, right? We've been heavily influenced by enlightenment. We're heavily, you know, influenced by reason, by our own experience. If I don't feel it to be true, it's not true. It's exactly what you were talking about before. That subjectivism is the philosophical is the philosophical position that seems to be holding the most the most sway right now. Right. Right. And it seemed like I thought it was really powerful in the reading and that same one with the road to Mass, that 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 he opened the scriptures up to them. Right? Yes. They said after. And so what they what didn't make sense, even the scriptures didn't really make sense to them. And then all of a sudden, whoa, I've had that kind of experience. I had that experience in college when I had a I took a Hebrew scriptures class and, <laughs> and it was taught by a, a Protestant minister that was a very liberal denomination. And I, was, I was, 
you know, a little more tratty back then. And I was just like, oh, what's this guy going to have to say, you know? Right. And But I was, was a class and everything. Right. I was curious. And I actually, with my Catholic education, didn't know the Old Testament very well. Like, I didn't know it like I knew the New Testament. Right. And so I was looking forward to this class. But, and man, I was not disappointed. Because he opened it up like I saw, and he made the connection to Christ. And I saw how all the all the paradigms, all the metaphors, everything were fulfilled. And it was like bang, my it was like brain expanding. All right, so uh, let me let me stop you right there. Was it an intellectual discovery? Was it a, a, a mental insight that you had, or was it something else, Jerry? Did you study I, your way there, or did you have some <laughs> other kind of? I feel like it was a little bit of both because. Mm-hmm. One, it led to the other, right? Because when I kind of understood even like the significance of, you know, uh, the story of Exodus, right? And how that was being replayed in a very specific way with Christ. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I think intellectually I got it and maybe even knew that. On some mm-hmm. level, a lot of the things I kind of knew, kinda but knew. it was like... Yep whoa, it was explained in a way that made me go, wow, now the significance of Christ coming in on that donkey hits me. And I didn't know that before. Um, yeah. So was your heart involved in a different way? Hmm. When you had those I would realizations? Say, I would say it was. Yeah. Um, because it, but, but in that's, I don't know if it was the material so much as the brilliance of it and the way that God was at work in it that made my mind go, wow. You know, and I have a background too of in English literature in, and it was my minor and I did teach at one point some English. And so I was like, even that, like the literary stuff makes, and the like makes is mind expanding, but heart expanding. Heart expanding. Yeah. Well, and that's what, that's what you see in here, right? Our hearts were burning within us. That this is, this is, Mm -hmm. there was, there was something going on in their hearts. This wasn't just a mindset thing. It wasn't just a psychological insight thing or not a psychological insight, but an intellectual insight. It was a, it was a relational heart based thing. And we've got to have both, right? So these wounds that we get that lead us to de-idealize, you know, uh, our parents or whoever else, whoever raised us, whoever, whatever other relationships we had. They actually blind us to who God really is because of the assumptions that we carry from those experiences, especially if they're unresolved, right? So, right. so that's what I work with clinically because I'm a full-time clinician. I work almost full-time. Uh, for those of you that may not know, this is not like Dr. Jerry and mine's like main gig. This is a, a little thing we do on the side, you know? Um, it's getting bigger now that more and more is happening, but um, but we're still like almost full-time clinicians. So we're working with this all the time. And that's what I'm finding over and over and over again. And you can take spiritual approaches to this psychological stuff, and it's not nearly so helpful as taking psychological approaches to the psychological stuff, because this is issues around human formation. This is issues around like what's happened psychologically, what's going on in memory, what's going on in the brain in terms of the neurology of this and so forth. And that's where like the background that we have as a trauma therapist is really helpful. Right. So right. we're just going to bring some of so, that in. So you, you mentioned that Peter. So, Clinically, I'm really curious because I see that too. And I will see people where I can see 
some aspect of who this person really is. Obviously not the way God fully does, but some, right. some objective aspect that they don't see. Right. Right. Like some way in which they are uh, putting on God, uh, their parents or something. And I'm curious how clinically we do that, how we help to help them make the bridge. Is it intellectual? Are we doing something to activate the heart? Uh, what are we doing clinically to get there? There are four major pillars that I talk about. And I got actually into this in episode four of the uh, coronavirus crisis Carpe Diem podcast that I do. Four pillars, right? There's the there's the mindset, which is the, the, the mind, you know, the intellect. Um, there is the, the heart, right, which is the seat of the emotions. There is the body, and it's amazing how much of this is actually wrapped up in the body, especially in the brain. And there's the soul. Uh, so those those four pillars are things that I'm working with all the time clinically. And you actually want to make sure that you're addressing all four of them. I actually started out with the mind. I was trained originally in cognitive behavioral therapy, so we focused almost exclusively on the mind. Then moved into more psychodynamic stuff and really got much more into the heart and much more into the importance of emotions. And then as a trauma therapist, I got much more into the body, right, and all the bodily stuff that's associated with this. And then obviously from the very beginning, very much integrating all of this into uh, what does it mean for our souls? Uh, so, so yeah, it's all of those things. We actually have to be working in all of those realms or something really important is going to be missing. And we want them all to come together to be integrated. That's what, that's what our negative experiences, our, our disillusionments, our deal, idealizations, you know, all of that, they actually lead us to sort of fragment, to become less integrated. And when that happens we start to really misinterpret things. Mm -hmm. So I think some of the, our Lord's command to become like little children, like, you know, the kingdom of heaven is made up of such as these, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, which is one of my favorite verses, is about us being much more integrated and much more free and much more small and much more humble. Um, and that's actually what I'm looking for uh, with, my, with my clients. And at the same time, being able to take on all the adult responsibilities of living the Christian life. Taking all the you know taking all the responsibilities of 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 their duties of state of their vocation in life. So mm -hmm. yeah, you know it's cool yeah. that you mentioned all those parts. You know the the mind, heart, body, and soul, and and there's different ways philosophically that that's been looked at throughout the years. Like usually you see it as you know mind, uh, body, uh, uh, body, which includes in that definition, I think heart uh, and, and, uh, and mind and, and, and soul body and soul or a tripartite definition. And, and I always, I, cause I, my background in the Byzantine approach is to look at the noose, right. Which is, I guess the Greek word that gets sometimes defined as heart, but doesn't really, isn't really just the emotions. It's bigger it's, than that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so sometimes the nuances in the Bible make it tricky, uh, to know what are we talking? Are we talking more mind here? Are we talking more emotions here? Something else. And the, in the Eastern tradition, the noose is the faculty by which the soul connects to God, and that faculty gets obscured with the fall, and so right. we actually have something right. in the way of getting of allowing us to uh, connect with God spiritually. And when the noose right. is cleared, cleaned, if you will, purified then we actually are able to connect with God. So. That's really important to bring up too, because I do not want to give the impression that as long as you're psychologically you know, ordered, that there's not going to be any obstacle between you and God. Because there is, right? Because of the effects of original sin, 
right? So, so yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think we need to, you know, continue to emphasize that because we don't want to like pretend that all you need is great, great psychology and then you don't need anything else. Obviously, that's only a, a part of the whole equation. So, you know, what I was thinking about um, too is that what are we, what are we fearing? Uh, what are we struggling against when we want to connect? What's the what's the great thing that we're trying to avoid? And it is um, it is about the um, it's about abandonment, right? Because my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body too abides in confidence. And here's here's why here's why it comes in the next it comes in the next verse. Because you will not abandon my soul to the netherworld. This is about attachment. This is about connection. This is about not being abandoned. And if you look at what we always struggle with when we go through de-idealization or when people disappoint us, it's a kind of disconnect or a kind of abandonment. It might be small, but there's something about not being connected, not being in relationship. So, mm-hmm. so a lot of the clinical work is around that. And I think clients are not that actually different in a lot of, in a lot of times, not just anybody else, right? I mean, we all struggle with these kinds of things. And that's what we're going to get to when we get to the exercise is like, I, I actually have some, some techniques that we don't do therapy ever in souls and hearts, right? We don't do therapy on this show, but there are some guided types of meditations where your heart can actually point you to what it's struggling with. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I'm not sure if you had other things that you wanted to bring up, but we could actually move in that direction. I got a whole yeah. ton more here on my notes, but there's just no way to get to it all. So there's a lot um, there, you know, I think, but I think, no, I think it's time to uh, go to your, I'd love, I can't wait for your experiential. So you can actually do this if you want. I will. And, I will. And, and just, 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 you know, we don't script out all this stuff. Like this is not, we're not operating off of a script here. Dr. Jerry doesn't really know what I'm going to do. So really appreciate <laughs> you rolling with it. It's a good thing we're friends and we've known each other for a while. And, you know, we have this, uh, can I trust? I trust you. I trust you. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so we're, we're actually, again, looking at, in souls and hearts, we're always looking at what are the psychological obstacles to us being able to receive love from God and being able to love him in return. We don't really deal with uh, spirituality generally. We're not, this is our specific niche, the psychological and the spiritual. How can we, you know, in the human realm, in the human realm of human formation, how can we resolve conflicts and so forth to clear the, the, the way psychologically for a deeper and more abiding relationship with God. So that's why our, our patron is John the Baptist, right? Because he is, he is uh, preparing the way, right? So that's what this is all about. So it's not going to be the whole answer to everything for you. We're not actually, we're not spiritual directors. We're not priests. We're not any of that, but we are looking specifically on the psychological impediments. So that's what you're going to see these exercises focused on. So it's a, it's an important part of a well-balanced approach to spirituality, right? It's not the whole thing. Um, so we're going to, I'm going to lead you through a little experiential exercise. If, if, if you're ever uncomfortable with any of these things, uh, you know, listen to that. Um, 
you don't don't do them if you don't want to do them or if you happen to be driving or in some other situation in which you know you can't give this your full attention that's that's fine you might want to pause it and come back to it later we don't want you to be sort of like just surprised by something in a situation in which you don't have the time or space to work with it appropriately um but i'm going to invite you to to just um take a couple of breaths slow deep breaths if you're willing to do this just allow yourself to slow down and when you breathe slowly you're letting your body know you're letting your nervous system know this is a body-based thing that it's okay that you're in a safe you're in a safe place you're in a secure place And I'm going to invite you to look at your heart. I'm going to invite you to see your heart in your mind's eye. And if you're not real visual, you might think about it as hearing your heart. Hearing your heart in your mind's ear. Experiencing your heart in whatever way works for you. And connecting in your heart with a way that doesn't overwhelm you but shows you a wound, an experience, something that keeps you from that deep abiding confidence in God. A disappointment, a disillusionment, It might come up in terms of a word. It might come up in terms of just an image. If you're already deep into it, go ahead and pause this and go with it for a little bit. All in a way that's gentle. It's not overwhelming. Your heart can show you its wound. If you're open, Just listen, just look, just be open. And maybe for some of you, you know what it is. There may be a way that you knew it in some way. The 
something with dad, something with mom or grandpa, some other person in your life. that got generalized to your relationship with God. Or maybe your relationship with the Blessed Virgin Mary, your mother. Whatever you find with this can be really helpful. You may have a reaction you don't quite know what to make sense, how to make sense of it. It's okay. It's information. Right? You may not be able to get to everything at once. And that's okay. one of the things about healing these wounds is that it always happens in relationship. These wounds don't heal in isolation. And ultimately, there's one healer. All healing comes from God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is where it gets tricky psychologically, though, because if we assume that it was God that harmed us. It was God that wounded us. It becomes psychologically very difficult to go to him for healing. So we may need somebody else to help us, right? And one of the things I'm going to recommend is that once once you've kind of gone through this and found that that wound, or found whatever you found, because it might not be that you found it, is that you write it down, that you write it down, and that you share it with somebody else in your life to help you make sense of it. Uh, that may be a friend, it may be your spouse, if you're, if you talk about these kinds of things with your spouse, it may be your, you know, your spiritual director, uh, it may be your therapist, if you're, if you're in therapy, but to be able to connect with somebody else, to bring it to somebody else, you know, pray about that and see who that might, who, you know, who might you might connect with on that. And, um, and, uh, and, and, you know, what I would say is, if you've done this and you know of somebody that you think might also benefit from this, ask them to look at this episode and to do the same exercise, to watch it as well. Let them know about it. Have them, if, if they're willing to, again, we don't want to, you know, you know, pressure anybody, but if they're willing to have them do it and the two of you can exchange what you've, what you found about yourselves, if you have enough trust and confidence in that other person and see what comes from that. See what comes from that. It's a beginning, right? I mean, this kind of exercise is not going to heal everything. We can't do it all in one fell swoop and it's not, um, you know, it's, there's limits to what we can actually, it's not therapy, it's, there's limits to what we can do. But I was curious, Dr. Jerry, about like what happened for you and all mm. of that. Yeah, no, thank you. I enjoyed it in a sense because I, I was able to enter into it pretty quickly. And uh, what I, 
what I struggled with there was less the idea that I transferred God um, doing whatever the wounding to me. So I didn't mm-hmm. feel that. Um, I did have the intellectual kind of puzzle pop up in my head, though, which is, um, and I know intellectually I can discuss it, but it's still when you ask me to look at my heart and kind of be mm-hmm. just only like focus on the emotions, this is what came up, right? Because I just think that I am, I love my kids. And if someone was going to hurt my kids, I would leap into action. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm a child of God, how come he didn't leap into action? How come he didn't leap into action? Yeah. And yeah. and I understand the difference between, you know, God's permissive will versus his, you know, what is his actual, his will. Active his will. Like, yeah. yeah. Active. Yeah. yeah. So I understand that it's not like God did that to me or commissioned somebody to do that for, to me or whatever, like whatever harmed me wasn't God's plan. But I do think he the fact that he allowed it was my barrier in that moment to fully trusting him i think there's an ult- i have an ultimate trust like i believe he will work to heal me and i believe um that that in the end he'll take me into heaven kind of thing. now that soul set right that's the soul set that's the conviction right yeah right but there's another layer the psychological or emotional layer that's actually not altogether in harmony with that Right, because right now I can't 100% trust that something bad might not happen. Right. Because he's not going to necessarily leap into action, like right. with a virus or with something right. else happening, right? Those things can happen to me, and he's not going to do anything directly, barring a miracle. I mean, some people do experience right. miracles. Right, right. But barring right. a miracle, I'm, I'm at the mercy of whatever. All I can do is rely on him to be with me through whatever suffering or difficulties come to pass, including death. Right, but not to actually take action, and that's hard. I mean, we know that philosophically, right? Right. That whole thing of his active will and his permissive will, but but I don't. It doesn't at a heart level. It's a it's a perhaps a barrier for some level of confidence. And so what I'm saying is, if we can bring those things into our relationship with God, and this is sort of like, and this may be really difficult for some people because some people really struggle with that. But if we can bring those wounds to God. We might be able to have an experience like Cleopas and his companion on the on you know on the road to a mouse, where our hearts burn within us. That some it, we may not get an answer, but at least we're in relationship about the wound, right? Um, and so, and most of the time, people are not like mistaking mistaking what happened their that the, whatever their you know whatever happened to them on a human level for God actually doing it. But they are questioning about the repair. How can I go back? How can I? Because because a lot of times there wasn't a repair, right? There wasn't a a resolution. There wasn't a there wasn't some way that that rupture in the relationship was ever resolved adequately. And so that's what we question about whether God whether we can actually have that repair with God, right? Um, and so that's that's sort of jives at least my understanding is how it's driving with you. Now that may, I don't know is that accurate? Is that sort of? Um, no, I believe in his ability to do repair by and large. Or at least ultimate, maybe not everything. At some point, it will only happen right in a new body in a new heaven. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, but I think that what where I do get some resolution on it um, is knowing is Christ Himself and the fact that Christ literally did choose to die and experience suffering and pain Himself. Right. In other words, God is saying, "I didn't. I get it. 
on some level through Christ, he's saying, I get it. I get why you're confused about that. And I'm even willing to die for you and experience all that too. Right. That, that, in, and I felt in Christ on some levels, experiencing some of that abandonment by God on the cross. And so he does it and he comes out the other end, you know, transformed and res- well, resurrected for Christ. And so that is, gives me hope, right? Like that gives me a sense of, okay, I don't have an explanation for why on so many things, but I'm never going to get one. Nobody is. <laughs> right? Because I'm only, I'm experiencing it subjectively as my wound. Right. And everybody right. is, we're all wounded, right? In different ways. So I don't know the why, but I do know I can trust in him. That's, and that's what we're going to get to, right? I mean, that's where we want to get to. The disciples on the road to a mouse, they didn't understand everything that they went through, right? But they had a burning within them and they, 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 they wound up with a deepened conviction. Um, and so, you know, to the point where they immediately leapt into action and they, well, it was dark, right? Went all the way back from a mouse back to Jerusalem, uh, be a dangerous journey in the dark. So, um, you know, to, 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 to go back to the, to the, to the 11. And what I liked, what I thought was also powerful is that when they did see him, it was in the breaking of the bread. Yes. Actually, that moves me personally to tears. You know, that sounds ridiculous on the surface, but it moves me to tears because it's the breaking of the bread, right? Well, the Eucharist. Eucharist. What is that? It is the sacrifice reenacted. So it's Christ again saying, see, I am broken with you. We are united through this brokenness. We are united through my crucifixion. All of our human suffering and pain and difficulties is united through this, through my death. And, and then, but also then the experience of the resurrection as he now lives, you know, within us and in, in this, it's just, it, it, it is most, that emotionally moves me. Probably. Yes. 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 Yeah. On the one hand, you have this great um, clarity that comes upon them, but also there's this deep mystery, right? And there's this real relational connection and it's all bound up in the sacrament. Like all of that happens at once. Mm-hmm. It's an incredible experiential thing that affects mind, heart, body, and soul. All of us, all those elements come together. Right. And, and that's like really powerful. It gives me the, the chills, right? You know, to like actually think about that, yeah. to, 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 to relive that in some way or to, to connect with that in some way. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. I thought that was great. I really enjoyed it. And I think we're getting close to the end, right? We so, are. We're, we're, we're running a little long on this one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I'm really curious about what people's reactions are. And you can, you can, you, you know, if you have something that you want to share about, share with us about this show or about what your experience was, uh, feel free to email us. You can email us at, um, what would be a good email? Probably, um, Office, yes, office at soulsandhearts.com. Email us at office at soulsandhearts.com. I got access to that one. Um, and uh, let us know, like, if you want, like, what, what happened for you in that. Um, and I'm really excited because um, Dr. Jerry has released his show. It is uh, I, completely done now. Uh, is it 24 modules? Yes. Um, 25. Yes. 25? Yeah. Okay. Be true. And, Yes. Restoring marriage after the discovery of a pornography issue. So if this is, 
Uh, if you're struggling with pornography or you're married to somebody struggling with pornography, this is the course for you. There's nothing else like it. Uh, and there's tons of a wealth of information uh, from years of my own practice in there, uh, education I've given to many couples. But there's also activities in each, pretty much each module has multiple activities for the husband, wife, and for the couple to do together. So powerful marriage program. Uh, as well as addresses this issue of pornography, which and, is unfortunately everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> and much cheaper than going to therapy for it. It's uh, it's considerably cheaper than going to therapy for it. I'm really excited. When we surveyed priests about what the need was that they saw pastorally, that was like the number one thing over and over and over again. We heard about pornography and 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 in pornography use. So, um, so yeah, check that out. And then I'm also really excited because the uh, coronavirus crisis Carpe Diem sees the day podcast is taking off. Uh, this is really about. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's thoroughly Catholic, thoroughly psychological. It's all about resilience in the face of all the struggles that we're facing with the virus. And it's really about how do we see God's providence operating through this and how do we seize the day? How do we look for those opportunities? How do we seize those opportunities, those possibilities and make the most of them? Because this is a tremendous opportunity for us to grow spiritually. It's also a tremendous opportunity for us to grow psychologically in the natural realm, both the spiritual realm and the natural realm. So if you are interested in those things, if you're a committed Catholic, if you're psychologically minded, if you're willing to do some work, and you're willing to use some technology, you know, check us out there, uh, soulsandhearts.com. And we're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google Play and all of that as well. Um, and subscribe to those things. Check it out. Uh, we, we mentioned the four pillars uh, today, mind, body, soul, and, and, uh, and uh, heart. The episode four of that podcast is all about those four pillars. So you can check that one out. So Yeah. Yeah. All and right. check out our blogs. Every week we have a new blog. Uh, right. as well so anyway and, and send us your messages so we look forward to thank you for being with us thank you for journeying with us on be with the word we look forward to seeing you again next time excellent until then be, be still believe be loved, be loved. take good care god bless you all